0: is Geordie Sullivan, also known as the Fight Dietitian. Jordy is uh, an incredibly smart kid. He, I think he's only about 25 years old, and he's probably done more study than uh, the cumulative efforts of my entire intimate circle of friends. <laughs> and I've got a lot of smart friends. This kid's got uh, two degrees, a master's degree in dietetics, I think is what he called it. I don't really know what that means, um, but... It has to do with the fuel that you're putting inside your body turning you into the perfect animal that you should be. Uh, He specializes in nutrition. He also was studying to be a doctor at one point, so he did a lot of work in endocrinology, hormones, etc. So all of those things put together with his love of combat sports, he decided that he was going to specialize in helping elite fighters and athletes cut weight for their fights. Um it's pretty it's super cool it's a really niche field there aren't a lot of people doing it um and then he was recently just over in the US helping uh UFC fighters cut weight for their fights through a company called Lockhart and Leith and he was just back here helping our friend Ben Johnson cut weight for his fight um for that world title fight that he just won at Destiny a couple of weeks ago. So this is a very cool conversation we talk a lot about uh what it takes to be to get those kind of elite level fighters down to their fighting weight. And we also talk a little bit about uh, mental health and its relationship to food, the psychology of food, and a little bit about addiction towards the end. Um, Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say cutting weight, I'll give you a little background into what weight cutting is in relation to combat sports. And if you do know what I'm talking about, then, you know, skip ahead. That's the beauty of the podcast. You don't have to listen to me say anything that you don't want to hear. So fights in combat sports are matched on two factors. One is your experience, and that is how many fights you've had, how many, obviously how, what your skill level is, your training, the kind of sanctioning bodies that you fought with. And the second factor is your weight. They do it so that it's fair because uh, no matter how good of a martial artist you are, it will be difficult for you to fight somebody who has double your body weight or twice as long as you. So we try to get it so that the two fighters are roughly approximately the same size as each other so the battle is mostly based on skill rather than overpowering someone with weight. Now in saying that, there is an advantage to being as big as you can for your weight division. So for example, I walk around at five foot ten, and my general average weight, if I'm not dieting and I'm just training normally, is probably about 68 kilos. But I fight at sixty kilos, so I'm five foot ten, which is one seventy five tall. And I often fight girls who would be, you know, maybe five foot five, uh, as small as you know, five foot five, five foot four. So I could be possibly a head taller than those girls, but still be at the same weight. Those girls would be a lot thicker than me; they have a lot more muscle. And probably, if we were in the gym and we both needed to deadlift, uh, they could probably lift a lot heavier weights than I could because they've got a lower center of gravity and more muscle, I tend to be a little, uh, run a bit lean and lanky. Now, for a Muay Thai fighter in my sport, it's a good thing for me to be nice and long and lanky because I have what we call a reach advantage. And most simply put, that means that we could be standing, I could be standing further away from my opponent and still hit them in the face than they could hit me. So it's ideal because as long as my punches are nice and long, I can stay out of range of getting hit by them but hit them in the face first. Now this, uh, but there's a trade-off there, obviously. I don't wanna be too long and skinny and cut so much weight that I don't have any muscles because then I could be doing my best effort throwing these long punches with spaghetti arms and they just walk straight through my punches and overpower me on the inside with their strength. So, you know, it's a delicate balance. So I wanna be as skinny as I can for my weight division without sacrificing my muscle mass. Now, elite fighters up in the top level of these sports um, you're dealing with a person who's already an absolute machine. They already walk around at probably less than 10% body fat, as it is to start with. Then they go into what we call fight camp, which is usually you know six to eight weeks out from a fight where you start to f- hone in your discipline and your focus on the fight. You're running every day. You're training a few times a, d- a day, constantly working on your skill set, constantly working on getting your cardio fit and ready for the fight, and that strips all of the extra body fat that you've got off of your body. The idea is that you want to get as slim and lean as possible without sacrificing any of that muscle mass, so anything that isn't contributing directly to you winning that fight needs to go. So you're eating a perfect diet. You go through this whole kind of process of discipline. So by the end of it, you might be running at 4% body fat or less, and then you still might have up to 10 kilos to lose in that last week. So where this is where Jordy comes in. He helps fighters from the get-go, from the start of fight camp, figure out what kind of diet they need to be eating to fuel their training, make sure that they're getting the most that they can out of their training, building muscle mass while not gaining too much weight and helping them strip that extra fat off of their body. So by the time then we get down to our last week of fight camp, ideally you have less water weight to strip off. So this is the very last aspect of weight cutting, and this is probably the most dangerous part of weight cutting. Once you got down to your uh, pretty much minimal body fat, you're in perfect shape, you're w- one week out from your fight, now you've got to get the rest of those kilos off. So I don't like to go into... I'm a, in amateur sports, uh, in amateur fighting. I don't want to be... I, because especially I don't have a dietitian helping me do these weight cuts... I've got a team of people around me that help me get ready for my fight, but I certainly don't have an expert in my corner helping me do this. I don't want to be any more than four or five kilos left to lose during from that last week out from my weigh-in. Then on the day of my weigh-in, I don't want to be anything more than two kilos over my weight. So I need to be at 60 kilos by 6 p.m., let's say, on a Friday night, that morning, I don't want to be any more than 62 kilos. I ideally, about one and a half kilos left to lose, and by this point, at 60 kilos, I am a fucking skeleton. I've I retained some muscle mass, but I, there is nothing left on me, And so that one and a half kilos to two kilos left is all going to be water that I have to sweat out of me. So sometimes up to about 48 hours from the fight, or sorry, from the weigh-in, you won't eat a lot of food, and then uh, 24 hours out, you stop drinking water, and then for the last period of time, you've got to sweat all the water that's remaining in your body out. And by the time you're doing this, obviously, you're very dehydrated as it is, and then you've got to keep trying to get your body to sweat So it can be really dangerous. There have been uh, some accidents in the industry where people have died or gotten very, very sick from this uh, organ failure because there isn't enough uh, moisture left in their body. So it has to be done very carefully. Um, so anyways that's roughly it then by the time we weigh in we weigh in about 24 hours out from our fight so I'll weigh in on the Friday at 6pm and then slowly rehydrate my body refuel my body and then by the time I walk in the ring the next day I will have weighed in at 60 kilos and I will probably walk in the ring at about 63 to 64 kilos again so that's the background on it hope you guys enjoy this conversation hope you have a great week and I will talk to you again soon Hello.
1: Oh, good day there. <laughs> Isn't it funny?
0: We sit here and hang out for a little while and then I start all of a sudden and it feels yeah, different. Yeah, it kind of catches you oh, off guard. And, oh, we're on. What's <laughs> <laughs> happening now? Oh my God. Um, be different now. That's yeah. what that means.
1: Yeah. yeah. Get serious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Yeah,
1: no, pleasure coming. on. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, it's been a while in the making, but yeah, man, for having me.
0: I know. You've been painful.
1: Yeah, I have been. <laughs> Most people say that about me, but it's okay. <laughs>
0: that's funny. This is that. That's actually the hardest part of my whole podcast is fucking making sure that guests show up and coming when they sh- need to come.
1: Yeah, well, I was thinking about that driving down here, Hey, I was like, it must be a real, like, just a whole job in itself trying to organize, getting people on, and yeah. who do you want to talk to, and, like, what happens if you get them on, and you're like, man, this is like... This didn't work. Yeah, this didn't work out, and you're a week behind, and...
0: Yeah, there's, yeah, I, I've... I've only been doing it since February, but I've definitely have had all of those combinations of things happen. Yeah, And it. what I've decided to do now is just record podcasts on my own also of like just topics that I research and talk about that are interesting because it it takes away that pressure because yeah, that's it. Sure. Like I, I probably spend half of my week organizing guests and then shuffling around them and then my own schedule. And then if anything falls apart, you know, like if I don't have one guest for that one week and I hadn't booked someone else, oh, I'm fucked. Yeah.
1: What a pain in the in the uh-huh. backside, huh?
0: But what you do is pretty fucking rad, man.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different, isn't it? It's um mm. it's super interesting, but it's 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 been a long time in the coming. It's kind of like, yeah, and it's like to be honest, it's the best job in the world. Like I say that to uh. everyone, and it's and it's kind of like it's been a few years in the making, and there was um quite a few times where I just thought it wasn't going to happen and kind of gave up on it and.
0: Uh, it's a very good thing to help build your character.
1: Yeah, like it definitely, like it, it does. It like builds resilience and like you think, but that's the funny thing, hey, like you think you're all these things before and I'm not saying like I am now, like there's mm. definitely like, but you're like, I look back on it and I think, wow, what what would have happened if I just took those jobs? Like maybe well, it's like- boring,
0: I, man? Yeah. Like I think, honestly, I I, I feel like, if you don't take risks in your life and disappear for a while, I mean, we, we obviously have the luxury of being able to do that. But mm-hmm. I, went, I went off the rails for a long time because I just needed to experience that just explosion. I wouldn't have any idea. About what life is like if I hadn't done that.
1: Well, that's it. That's one thing I always say. It's like, you gotta get comfortable getting uncomfortable. Yeah. It really is. That's a beautiful
0: phrase. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: It's definitely like all the best things happen just outside your comfort zone. Mm. It's so cliche and everyone says it, but it's true. And like.
0: Well, you're kind of, you are a pioneer in this. That's because nobody's doing fight specific nutrition, really. Mm. There are very few people that do it and only at that top, top level. So you don't, like, because none of us have enough money to pay for a nutritionist to help us cut weight um you just w- recently worked with ben johnston and he's having a world class he's ha- fighting for a world title and that's so th- that kind of level is as the kind of people that you're going to be able to get to work with you are just also working over at the ufc but like for everybody else none of us would even fucking think about it. it's like all right i gotta cut weight so i just i'm gonna stop eating shit for a few weeks and hope for the best i'll go get down to 60 kilos no problem I've made every weight every single time, but then I'll be back at seventy-two kilos in a month, and then I've got to cut that all that weight again because every fight, six to eight weeks out, I've got that my entire fight camp is occupied with me losing weight.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, hey. That I always talked about people. It's like they kind of lose focus and they think the weight cut is is the goal. Hey, like like mm. the whole focus of the camp is just to make weight, and they forget. No, you've got to like. You whatever to develop it is, skills. Yeah, 12 hours later or 24 hours later, whatever it is, you've got to step in the ring cage or mats, whatever you're doing, you've mm. got to fight. Like I think that's a big philosophy that I've kind of developed now is like a performance first philosophy. Like your nutrition should always add to your training and your performance, mm. should never detract from it. And that's a big thing that I drill into all the guys that I work with. It's like what, like what determines your performance? It's your training. It's your training in all the weeks leading up to your fight, all the months leading up. And what, like, why would you sacrifice that? Like if you, you take Mm. two guys who's been training, I always say nutrition is the difference between like a hundred percent fighter and a 70% fighter. You take someone who's been training in a camp for eight weeks and just kind of been doing whatever with their nutrition. And you take someone who's been, you know, a hundred percent, like on the gram to the money every time they've done like a well-planned strategic weight cut. They've reloaded, rehydrated properly. You get those two guys, same skill level, same size. You get them in a ring. Like I'll tell you who's winning that fight every yeah. single time. Like, Fucking and it, it's it's a real thing. But but you're right. Like it's it's just not widely known information. And like there are there are people doing it. And there's like there are like academics like looking to 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 make moves in the area. But a lot of the knowledge is just siphoned down like through your coach mm. or your teammates. And, that's, and
0: old school thinking too. I mean, because we obviously our sport. I'm a Muay Thai comes from Thailand, so we. We treat a lot of weight cuts with the old school Thai method of like like wearing sweatsuits three days out just to get your weight down so then you can kind of just be normal for the last three days of fight camp. But that means that you're dehydrating your body three days out from a fight, which is fucking crazy, yeah. especially with knowing that you're about to get hit in the head. Nonstop, and you're still sparring. All of that, you're still k- taking impact, and you've got no fluid on your brain. That's super dangerous.
1: Oh man, it, it's it's like really scary. Like I hmm. I remember when yeah when I was in when I was in Canada when I really got into it, I ended up running these like boxing classes just to make extra money, like just boxer size stuff, nothing serious. But then there was this guy from Toronto who worked there, and he was like a ex pro, and he we just start talking, and like and and like other than that, like I'd I'd only really trained. Like, I I never competed. I'd done smokers and stuff, but I never cut excessive amounts of weight. Like, just diet down and everything. And he started talking to me about all this stuff that he used to do. And I was like, holy shit, man. Like, that's not good. Like, that's not kosher. You can't be doing that. And he was like, yeah, man. Like, I felt terrible. Like, I was throwing up. Like, I was throwing up blood. Like, coming Uh. back in the ring. It was terrible. And I was Uh. like, and that's, like, kind of really kicked off my real fascination. with." I used to train with that guy every day. And we'd, like, play around with his weights. Like, we'd do, like mini diets with each other see how much we can strip how much and then see and then we'd go like spar each other and then we'd see how we perform and do it and that like really started my like fascination with it and I was like man this stuff is crazy and then it's like how I came across like Lockhart and Leith and as soon as I I I found out about them like I guess like this was like probably a year into this trip or whatever and I was like I don't know my confidence is just at a different level I was like just email and I was like man I'm (laughs) your guy like we need to do this like we need to talk like blah 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 but then yeah I didn't hear anything and I ended up moving back to Toronto and um, I started training at a couple of gyms but like my focus was like, okay, I need to know more about this stuff mm. and so like the better half of the year, like I trained with them, like I'd roll with these guys and spar with them and whatever but I kind of became that guy that they talked to about their nutrition and we would just talk about their weight cuts and doing and like everyone that was coming through the gym and I was training at a couple of gyms and just getting as much knowledge as I could because when you start reading about it, like yeah, there's info mm. out there but there's not like a set protocol. Like I know like as dietitians, there there is a set protocol that, that we can use and it's good, but it's like it's super safe, right? Like and it's mm. good for like the everyday fighter, it's awesome. Like you can do like a low res, low carb diet, and and you can like do, do their water loading program, and it would probably work. It'd probably work well. But I found like when you get to like those high level guys, they're cutting a lot more weight. Mm. And it is like it's because it's advantageous, right? It's advantageous to be heavier when you get in that ring, especially when the skill set is so close
0: right and it's yeah, like yeah. when it when yeah. it comes down every like little advantage counts. every
1: little advantage counts and if, if you can if it's that one extra punch and you've got a few more pounds on that guy you can make the difference so mm. so yeah that's kind of how i got obsessed with it and i was like wow and it, yeah and i ended up like i was doing a couple of jujitsu comps over there and like i didn't need to cut weight but i remember like at one stage it was like an underground jujitsu comp and there was only three weight categories it was like 150 175 and 200 i was walking around at like 175 bit heavier and I was like man like let's just put all this into practice and I'll, and I'll do it on myself and I ended up cutting down and like weighing in at 149 but it like wow it was a rough experience like I I did like a pretty like a lot higher fat like cut out carbs like very traditional what most fighters will do and then like got in the bath and did and it was brutal and I was like oh. man this that's not good and there I remember just calling way. all these guys and I was like we were discussing like every day like we're staying back at the gym and talking about it and yeah, just kind of just snowboard, and I just it was good. Like I just got so much experience from talking to those guys at the gyms the and, and doing amazing. it. Yeah, and like I did. You like can a, study
0: as much as you want, read it as much as you want in a book, but for doing sure. it in real and life.
1: Yeah, and I do like little little mock weight cuts, like and like and they're probably looking back on it wasn't the safest thing by no means. Like I remember <laughs> one time, like there's like one little little comp that I was doing. I didn't have to cut a lot, but I was like, I really want to try out like the baths and everything. So. I tried bathing, I didn't really know a lot about like the toweling protocol and like I got so dehydrated in the bath and had it so hot like I actually like slipped under and like I got, I got myself out but I was going out, going black and oh, stood fat. up too fast and gave myself like postural hypertension and stuff and yeah, I ended up like crawling out and it was, it was rough and it, it was just like, but I guess it's good because you kind of need to understand that especially when you're doing it with, with other fighters. I think that's a big thing as well, and it's, like, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm a professional fighter, like, I'll, I'm the first one to say, like, I'm very <laughs> recreational, like, <laughs> like I train, like, five, six times a week, but I'm not, like, I'm not making a run for the belt, or, like, I'm right. like, not even competing, I'm not, like, that interested, but, like, the science side of it, like, fascinates me, but,
0: Fuck yeah, but man. you can have
1: all the science side of it, but you've got to understand it, like, you've got to get, you've got to, like, like Leith says it well, he has like a video like from Lockhart and Leith, he says it was like, there's certain intangibles about cutting weight that you don't understand unless you've done it yourself. And it's so true. It's like, how can you coach someone through that and and know know where to push them? Yeah. It's like, it's a weird, it's a weird psychological thing that they go through and you've, and when it comes down to like cutting weight and like the safety side of it, you've got to know when to push. Like, okay, I know you're just like cracking down, you're having a bit of a panic attack, but like you're good. Like your vitals are good. You're Like I can mm. tell. Like you're good. Like I'm. I'm tracking all this. We've just got to get through this. And like you're coaching them through. It. And it's like, if you're not authentic about that, they'll see through it. Right. Like, they'll see through it. And if you don't away. know if
0: they are good or not, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're yeah that's the
1: thing. Like if you don't You've even know, know like shit. yeah, yeah. If you don't know that to start with, like that's yeah. a that's a pickle to be in. The, but that's how it is. That's how it is at the moment. That's yeah. And it's kind of it's scary because it's such a big sport. It's like. Someone told me the other day, it's like the fastest growing sport in Australia, like MMA. I bet. Yeah. And, and, and so there's only going to be more people doing this type of stuff. So like, that's what I'm all about is like kind of shining a spotlight on it, Cause it's that awkward gray area that no one wants to mm. talk about. And no one really like, especially from like on the academic side, there's definitely people doing it. That's, that's for sure. There's people like researching it and they're, they're doing studies like, like Andy Galpin, and like Reed Rear, like Scott Robbins. There's lots of great and they're doing awesome work. I like, I love reading their work. Anyone that's interested in it should read their work. But when it comes to like guys like me who are in the trenches with like...
0: Yeah, you need that gap. Yeah, You need to yeah. cover the gap between exactly. research and practice. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And,
1: and especially oh, like cool. you're saying, when you get to like those high levels like UFC and WBC and Bellator and stuff, these guys are like paying you to get them on weight. And like you can read a paper and say, okay, like maybe water loading will only help this guy like 0.8%. But from my experience, like guys who don't water load don't sweat as much when we get in so yeah maybe the papers say that it doesn't work as well but from what I know it does and I'm not willing to like run my own like little double blind placebo trial (laughs) on my two top athletes to see which one works better you know like I need I need to get them the results and I need to do it in a way that's safe and effective. Well, you've and effective. done.
0: I mean, for what I can see, you did an incredible job. You did an incredible job with Benny. I mean, obviously, he's a professional. He's been doing this for a long time, and he does it really well. He takes it very seriously, but he looked amazing. Yeah, in
1: the yeah, fight. Benny. Benny, he looked um, incredible. Yeah, he, he's a. He's an interesting guy. Like I always talk about. Anything to do with like, with high level sport, like anything to do with high level sport is difficult. From like a science point of view, because if you're pulling all your material from studies and research, it's hard because everyone you're working with is the outlier. Mm-hmm. So like when you're like, just, it's just scientific method, right? Like when you're, say, say any nutrition recommendation, say like however much calcium you need for healthy bones for an 18 to whatever year old male, like that number comes from all this set of data and it's like put on a bell curve and like two, two standard deviations from the mean of that bell curve covers 95% of the population, you've got to say with so much confidence that that number will cover 95% of the population. That's just like how, how it works with, mm-hmm. w- with, with the stats and, and research. But the thing is when you, when you take that and you're doing like studies on performance and everything, there's always going to be that bell curve and there's always going to be outliers. And I find like a lot of the work I do and a lot of the people with doing this type of stuff is that 2.5% at the end of that bell curve
0: Right, so, yeah.
1: so how do you, how do you pull stuff from that, that research and say, you know, like, and it's fine if you're doing say a, a study and you've got, I don't know, 40 college year college, 20 year old kids who are just like, I don't know, playing rugby or whatever. And you've got them on like a fitness, does that population really translate into the people I'm working with? Yeah. Like, like
0: that elite top Yeah, does
1: it, fighter, does, does Yeah it Does it really? And you've got to like mm. ask those questions and that's like. It's one thing like my master's degree, like I'll, I'll never say to people like, hey, I have a master's degree and I learn all this stuff. Like, to be honest, I probably couldn't tell you, recite too much information that I learned from it. But a good thing that I really got from it was like the ability to look at these papers and dissect them and then pull out the bits and then say, okay, is this relevant? And does it apply to my practice? Isn't it going to make it better?
0: Well, and pretty much what you have to do is you have to take the knowledge that you understand about the biomechanics of the body and food and then experiment with it in your own way and put it into practice. You have to you you're basically it's not you can't apply a theory. You have to create the theory. For sure. Yourself.
1: And I think um this is this is one reason why like I'm so lucky and so privileged to be working with like Lockhart and Leith. Yeah. Like I mean, those that's two so guys, cool. like that I don't care what anyone says, like like, I don't know if you listen to like I'm a Joe Rogan man, like they're smart guys. Man. Yeah, I like, didn't
0: get to listen to that one yet. I really want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, like talk it's it. a
1: smart guy, but like some of the science, like that's the thing, like we were saying, there's a bit of this gap. And like some people may say it's like ugly science or it's not great. And I'm not gonna lie, like I'm an academic at heart, like the science sometimes doesn't always add up. But when it comes to hands on experience, you these guys are the best in the world, like there's, mm. there's no There's no question about that. Like, and these dudes are smart dudes. Like both of them worked with, um, Marines, like for Mm. years and years, like cutting weight off Marines and then putting them out for like seven day tests or whatever. And they had to perform like, that's crazy. Fuck.
0: To give a bit of background, Lockhart and Leith are the people that most famously were just working with oh. Conor McGregor on the UFC for his weight cut for that last fight. And you were over there for that fight when he fought Khabib. Yeah. And you were helping Anthony Pettis and two yeah, other people, Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: There, there was me and um, two other nutritionists, Tim Collins and Ian Laros. They, they work pretty closely with Lockhart and Leith. And um, yeah, like Lockhart and Leith look after probably about 40% of the UFC roster. Like those guys are just. Wow. They're the real deal. Like I said, hands-on experience with the best of the best, like those outliers. You don't get better than than these guys. But yeah, wow. when we, um, I did a bit of training with them um, back in July. It was funny because it all came full circle. Like I was saying, I kind of gave up on this whole idea and yeah. and um, g- came back to Australia. And I actually enrolled to go to physio school. Like gave up on nutrition. Oh. I was like, if I can't do fight sports and nutrition, I'm not doing it. Enrolled, got a job as like helping out physios at a hospital, and like literally a week later, those dudes called me. Right. and were like, hey, we're running training, do you want to come? And I was like, wow, man, I spent like three years in <laughs> North America and like came back and pretty much dropped all this stuff, and, <laughs> and now you guys call me. And it's like, I was yes. like, that was awesome, but that was like the lucky break. Like, I just said for so long, I was like, I pretty much gave up on the idea and said, like, it's not a thing, it's not happening, I'll never be able to do this as a job. And then these guys yeah, reached out, and it was all, and I went over and did the training with them in LA, and that was for the 227 card. They were helping out, like Cody and a bunch of guys on the card there. And, um, yeah, I was lucky enough and kept in contact, and they were pretty impressed with us. And, yeah, I was able to go back over and help them with that that card. So we had um, – yeah. yeah. Lockhart was living with Connor for about eight weeks. He flew over to Dublin. Everything that Connor ate, everything in terms of nutrition, like George was looking after. So, wow. And, um, yeah, like George knows his stuff, man. Like he is, he comes across, I'll say he's like number one jarhead. Like he's a real, <laughs> real Marine dude, but man, you have a conversation with that guy. And like, I thought I knew like science and stuff, but he's really, man, he just has like a different grasp on it. And the thing that separates yeah. him is like, he's got so much hands-on experience to pull it to, like yeah. to put it to, like, and he can apply it and be like, okay, this is, yeah, it should work this way. But it doesn't really, when you do it with these guys, I find this way works better. And then maybe right. that doesn't match up scientifically, quote unquote, but just seems to work. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. Those guys are just, I'll say it again, like they're the best in the world at what they do. It's, it's wow. insane. But yeah, so for that card, we, um, yeah, Lockhart was with Connor. Uh, we had, we were looking after Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis. Aspen Lad and Felice Harrod. So yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so well, that's a
0: dynamic um, change of bodies as well, and and especially because you got female and male. Do you notice a big difference between weight massive, class for, yeah. massive
1: difference? So What's it's like, the,
0: what are the defining
1: differences? So the way I kind of think about, I kind of talk about what I do is like the system. Like I kind of call it the system, and like the way I describe it is like, like I said earlier, like I've been super interested in hormones and how, and like in my philosophy on it is like your hormones kind of dictate what's going on in your body. Like nothing happens unless like a hormone really tells it to happen type thing. And, and when you're talking about like weight cutting and nutrition in general with guys, it's, it's a pretty, not a straight up system. Like you've obviously got to know what's going on, but there's certain things you can do and certain responses you'll, you'll expect. So like when I'm cutting weight, I give guys like trackers, like our weight should be at this point by this date, like based on how, you know, like, yeah, calories to an extent, but the amount of food that we're having, the timing that we're getting it in, your training, if we're fueling you properly and pre-workout, during and post, like your weight should be at this stage. And more often than not, it always kind of happens that way. I'm like, I'm never like five, six kilos off. It's always mm-hmm. like 500 grams or something for those trackers. But when it gets to females, it's like you've got that system. You've got like your, your bodily system and everything's going on. But then you've got all the other lady hormones, and Mm. and and it's a real thing. Like they do, they 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 play a huge role in it. And and I'm not not going to lie, like it's it's a really strange field. Like, and I I hope someone listening to this knows a lot more about it than me and can like reach out because, yeah, that that would be phenomenal. But that is kind of one of those things.
0: We um, I have noticed. I, I, every time and every woman that i've spoken to about this women typically tend to struggle the most with this yo-yo thing i noticed that um all of my trainers are men um and i've always been men and they and i i thought i was having a cop out you know because i was a like, my fucking my hormones are all over the place. I yeah. don't feel good, but I by the eleventh fight camp after two and a half years of kind of constantly being in fight camps and cutting weight and coming back, and it was my own fault because I would be so regimented and so restricted with my training that I get I get a bit uh, like I just get sick of the regimen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I get sick of. Waking up at 5.30, going running, getting to the gym, training pads, coming home, sleeping all day, going back, doing it again. Because I'm also a Muay Thai instructor, and yeah. so I teach people and teach clients all day. Every day in, day out, it's just Muay Thai, nonstop. Yeah. It's all I do. And so I was just getting fucking – everything was a regimen. I, and I don't drink. I stopped drinking three years ago. So and I never felt like I had an outlet. I never felt like anything else was changing. That thing that I loved about Muay Thai that made me feel powerful and strong and you know I was really pushing my limits. Instead, it was like I'm just surviving. I'm literally just surviving from day in, day out. I see like I see people sitting down having a coffee and a muffin for breakfast and I would get just like in the core of me just like violently angry. Mm-hmm. That I was like you don't fucking know. You have no idea. You know, every day looking at my fitness pal, jo- making sure that I'm completely perfect. And before I started fighting, I like I didn't want to put anything in my body that was going to be toxic. I just I just di- genuinely cared enough about myself that I didn't want it. So it wasn't like it was a hard choice. It wasn't like people, a lot of people, it's very nice of them, give me a lot of positive feedback for taking so much time off drinking. You know, everybody's yeah, like, yeah, we're so sure. proud of you. That's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it was causing me a big problem at the time, so I needed to stop. But it, is, it wasn't a hard choice because I consciously am aware that that feels like poison. When it goes inside me, it feels poisonous, and I don't feel good. Mm. So it's like it's just like anything. Like why would you hit yourself in the head with a rock? You don't do it because it doesn't feel good to do that. That's why I don't drink. Mm. So it's not like something like to be proud of necessarily. It's like I just made a choice that it, I didn't like putting toxic shit in my body. Now it's the same thing with sugar, with cookies, with dairy products, like all this shit. I just in my head I was like, this stuff doesn't feel good. I don't need to put it in my body. Then I started fighting and it became restrictions and it's you're not allowed to have that and all of a sudden something happened and like the sec- the last year that I was fighting that I resisted against it so I would go, I'd put my body through that, and then after the fight was over, I would put in everything in my body that I wasn't allowed to have, that even if I didn't want it, even if it made me feel like fucking shit. And it was stuff that I would never even consider eating. You know, like a bag of M&Ms and then a box of cookies. And it was shit that like, I literally couldn't have, a year earlier, wouldn't have even touched if you forced me to. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, I- and it was so frustrating, because I was like, what happened? I used to really care about myself. Yeah. And now I'm like actually purposely poisoning myself yeah and so then so i put it down to my hormones like my hair fell out all of i had this really thick long luscious sort of hair after two years of fight camps all my hair fell out it got really short really dry um my skin was all over the place my fat like i get bigger and smaller really quickly and um didn't have my period at points mm. for a long time. I couldn't tell if I was pregnant or not because I felt pregnant. Like I, f- that's how psycho my brain felt, and I, it just went on forever. and And then as soon as I stopped fighting, it's taken me. It's now been six or eight months. I think I'm still training. It's taken me this long to actually come back into that normal state of homeostasis where I care about what I'm putting in my body.
1: Yeah, especially with like female athletes, right? It's a real concern. Like that's mm. I don't uh, like no matter if they're amateur, if they're professional, high level. That's like always the first thing i'm thinking of like you've got to have them like the fact that you you stop menstruating like it's real it's that's a real problem that happens and it's due to like your decreased energy intake you know your calcium get down you go high really high risk of fractures and and all these things you can go and it's it's iron deficiency as well and like you really like there's a whole bunch of basics you need to cover to be in that but Mm. but like you said like dieting is really tough like Mm. If diets work, like I, I wouldn't have a job. Like there wouldn't be a dietitian <laughs> profession if diets worked. You know, like, it, yeah. like it just doesn't work. Like I think it's a real misconstrued concept that like if you go see like a nutritionist or a dietitian, they're going to put you on like a diet. Like that really shouldn't be the case. Like they're trying, and it's good because a lot of people are trained now that way. It's more like healthy behaviors and lifestyle change and 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 all that. And and you know because like like eating disorders and everything they're so prevalent. And they're so mm easily embedded into, into your, into your life from an early age, from, you know, crash dieting or yo-yo dieting. And you can just develop all these terrible issues. And you take that with athletes, especially like Mm. with what we're working with it. Yeah. Fighters, it's a real thing. It's, and it's hard because it's almost like you feel like you're battling against yourself, right? Like,
0: oh, massively. And you're climbing back uphill. So I've got to get from, I've had my week off after my fight. I was 60 kilos for weigh-in, 64 kilos, probably walking in the ring. And that's healthy, good, healthy weight for me because I'm 175, uh, 5'10", 175 centimeters. And so when I cut weight down to 60, I'm a skeleton. Like I'm very small at 60 kilos, but healthy and fit. I've still got muscles on me. So when I walk in the ring at 64 kilos, that's a good walk around weight. I should be healthily at 67, 66 kilos walking around if I'm perfectly fit. That would be a good, healthy weight for me. Um, but so after that fight week, I usually walk back into the gym at seventy something kilos. Yeah, you know, maybe a week or two weeks later. So what would you say? Like, so what's a, a better way of dealing with this so that that doesn't typically happen when when you get back up into that point? Like, what are the things that you can help monitor people with?
1: There's there's like the whole thing. I always talk about like setting up your cut. Like I I kind of I feel like I've gotten this reputation now of like the dude that can get a lot of weight off. Like I just got like 19 or 20 kilos off a dude in five weeks, like who who competed. Yeah. And like, I've got a dude competing on Friday and he messaged me on Monday and we had 14 kilos to go and he'll make weight. Like, and it's like, but again, that guys and there's a set system and like, I can crunch the numbers and it should work out with girls. I don't, I really don't like cutting that much weight. It's just not pregnant. Again, I'm not like an endocrinologist. I'm not a female hormone expert, But again, coming from my experience working with them, it just, it never, it's never that easy. Some, some girls for sure that they'll just coast through and you're like, you can, and they'll work out similar to guys and, Mm. and you can put the calculator and they'll just drop the weight. But most of the time, no, it doesn't work like that. Their, their weight's up and down all the time. Like I'll only ever tell them to check the scales once a week, like never check it day to day. Like girls can fluctuate so much, like Mm. just depending on the food they eat, salt Again, it's like it's it's your hormones as well. Like what's what stage you're at in your cycle can, can affect like how much water you're holding, how much salt you're releasing. So it's makes it a lot more challenging when you're doing a fight camp, for example, because you mm. want to time that. But the thing is, it's a lot easier for me if like we work together for six to eight weeks or even longer. Like yeah, if we can do yeah. months together, I get a better idea. Like Maybe I, I'm not. I'm not testing your blood every day and saying, "Hey, look, your cortisol's up here, your progesterone's here. Like this is what's happening. Oh, like are luteinizing hormones down. Let's do this." It's not like that. It's like I can get a good feel for it when we do this with these foods. This is what how your body's yeah. responding. Okay, you're feeling crappy on energy. What did we do like the last like this week? And our training's going up. You're feeling re- really, good. Okay, where are we at in your cycle? What worked? You can build those patterns in, mm. and it works really well. Like if it, I take on like quite a few clients that call me like last minute. They're like, yo, Geordie, like, I need to lose this weight. How do I do this? Like the week of. And I'm like, okay, like, it's gonna be way harder. Like the thing is cutting weight sucks regardless. Yeah. But like my job is to make it one safe and suck less. So mm-hmm. so but that's so much easier when you set up the cut. That's what I call it. Like setting up the cut. And like with Benny, we worked together for three months yeah, before man. before we did that cut. And we, we did like Benny's a super interesting one because when we talk about like the two and a half percent for outliers, like that dude's like the point one percent of that two and a half percent. Like it's crazy. Like he came to me and he was like, "Man, uh, I've been eating like strict keto for for three months." And like I don't really care. Like I'm not uh, the good thing. Like I find it's like a good skill I've developed. Like I'm not attached to any ideas. Like I'm not like I'm not like if someone says something that's against what I believe in. I'm not like oh my god like blah blah blah. it's like I'm not like okay let's do a keto diet paleo like I just don't care like whatever like let's just make weight and and well in keto
0: just to clarify just in case people don't know what this is it's ketogenic diet meaning that you have zero carbs more or less and your body is consuming fat only yeah so your brain is feeding off of ketones which come from fat instead of normally your body eats glucose which comes from carbohydrates Yeah, yeah and so you're fueling everything you've basically changed your fuel system it's like going from having a diesel truck to a gas truck
1: yeah yeah basically like you're eating like very minimal carbs, like 20 grams, but like an apple can have 10 to 15 grams of carbs, So it's not a lot at all, but he was eating like strict keto for like three months. And he said, Hey man, I've got like this big fight coming up. And I was like, Oh cool. Like I I do fighters like, and he's like, yeah, okay. But I've been eating keto and I lost like a bunch of weight, like six, seven kilos. And then I've put it all back on. And I was like, okay. And I was like, we'll send me a diet. We got started and he, and he sent me everything. And the thing is like, keto, like I have no problems with it. Like, I guess, part of like the system I use is you could call parts of it like a keto diet, but not, not really like we'll get into it a bit later, but like Ben put it all back on. And when you crunch the numbers, I like showed it to him. I was like, man, you're just eating way too many calories. Like fat is way more denser calorically than carbs or protein. Mm -hmm. And like when people talk about like calories in calories out, I think that's far too simplistic. I think, have you ever seen those things at the bar where you like drop a coin into the Vine, it goes through like this super strange contraption. There's like a bird like going down, like dipping into like water, and then like, have you ever in like a boot will kick something? And then, but then the coin will fall out the other end. Okay. But all it did was go from like A to B. Yeah. Like, I think saying like calories in, calories out is like saying you're going from A to B with like forgetting about all the other stuff in the middle. Like, it's, right. it's just, yeah, you can say that, but it's not really how it works or at least with the guys I work with I find it's not really how it works okay but yeah like Benny was just just eating too many calories and so like we have to kind of reconfigure his whole diet to one get him eating enough to fuel his training and then enough to be dropping the weight and the the other thing is like he went to Thailand twice in his camp and he was his body was so adapted like we were talking about earlier when you go on those type of diets your to it so so if you eat like a higher carb your body gets better at dealing with those carbs like your enzymes and you mm. couple that with like highly anaerobic explosive training like mixed martial arts is you it's a really good fuel source but ben was eating fat yeah all this fat and he was, but he was becoming like really fat adapted and so the way he dealt with carbs is very different for some someone eating happens that. That's what to me
0: because I eat mostly low carb. As soon as I eat carbs again, I put on weight immediately. Yeah. Like yeah. if I add in just a little bit of carbs, which I'm supposed to because I can't fuel my training otherwise. For sure. I feel exhausted. Yeah. But as soon as I put them on, I gain weight. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So, so, so keep it on sorry. Yeah, yeah, no.
1: And it becomes this like really delicate Act because like he's been doing it for so, and he feels great on it, like I'm not the guy to be like, mm. "Hey man, you're a what seven time champion, <laughs> like you've got all these belts like i'm the I'm the nutrition guy change it no that's not my job it's like it was just fine tuning the machine like he's mm-hmm. like a fine tuned machine as it is I'm just twisting the cogs and making it work a bit better, so it was yeah, yeah. It was like you just said, fueling that training and and figuring out how we can get the most of the training while sticking to that type of diet like he fasted all day would eat one big meal a day and we just had to figure out like what macro split worked best for him when he went to thailand like the the food like i have quite a few fighters who go to thailand and it's it, the food availability the food availability is a lot different right so mm. in yeah, terms of, yeah, yeah lots of rice and chicken and, and so and he put on stacks of weight like we got down to like from 90 i think we started at like 93 or something and then he went down to 86 and he went to thailand came back at like 93 94 he's just eating carbs his body like, didn't know what to do yeah anymore. yeah like yeah just like metabolize it differently you stacked on weight held the water held the salt and but like we needed to do that like that's okay because we needed him to get through that training like it's grueling they're training for like five six hours like super high intensity mm. but all this meantime like i'm collecting all this mental data on how his body like i've got a whole spreadsheet of like how many calories he's getting in what the splits were what his weight were doing so i'm like kind of crunching the numbers in real time and like every other day when we're talking, it's like, okay, let's have this and, and see how we're tracking along. And so when it got to the time to cut the weight, I kind of knew how much to give him to get the weight off. And then I like said to him, I was like, man, like cutting weight's not funny. He knew it. He's a pro at it. Like he, mm. At the end of the day, he was going to make weight and win that title, whether or not I was in the picture or not. Like right. I'm, not, I'm not saying that. It's just like I just make the process a bit easier, and like it was come fight night. Yeah, and he, he looked like, great, man. He looked yeah. awesome, and his and performance, he oh, he yeah. just fought so well. It was well. great, it was and great. I think a lot of people ask me that, like coming in that. He's like, oh, how how do you think he's going to go? And like I, as soon as we like walked on, he jumped on the scales, and I was like, yeah, man, this guy's he's going to blitz him. And like I looked at his the guy who was fighting, like he's he was an animal. Like he, he was a, an absolute he was animal. Tough, dude. and it was
0: crazy too because like that guy is so fucking tough. He's such a good fighter, and Benny just. Had his way with him, and even though there were a couple moments, a couple scary moments where he landed a couple good mm. shots, but it just, you know, it just made him look like a little kid. Yeah. It was, and and it's not to take away from Dan at all because he's a fucking oh, he's good a fighter. Machine. It was just that. Benny had a
1: great just, night, man just, he just like did man so it's well. just like and like, I just think he's just so used to greatness like that's it he's just like one of those freak athletes like mm-hmm. like he is just like the point one percent he is just so and, he, and he's a good dude and, too. and that's the it's thing the like the and he that's guy. the thing he's like the Fucking type of red. dude that you wouldn't mind your sister dating hey yeah, like he's such yeah, a he's gent. A good like person. he's and he like trained so hard and he's so diligent I remember like we we had like a tracker where we were putting food on and he like Message me like, hey man, I like a crack last night, and I had some dessert, and I was like, man, it's fine. Like (laughs) you're training seven (laughs) hours a day, like you can you can have some dessert, but yeah, he was an interesting experience. Like it was really good. Like I'm glad we went through that, and and like I think it it was a better process for him. For was better for me. Like it was a big learning curve. Like I've yeah, I'm still sifting through all that data, but it'll be interesting to see what comes up from it.
0: Wow. And um, another one that I meant to say, too, is that um, when I saw Anthony Pettis walk out as well, he looked a lot bigger than he normally does and really fit. Yeah, Like, yeah. he actually looked really, really good. I was surprised, because normally I'd seen him with, um, what's that guy's name? It's the other real skinny guy that just, is he the featherweight champ at the moment? Or, yeah, is he fucking, what's his name? He's Holloway? Got, Holloway, Max, yeah, Max yeah, Holloway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, Anthony Pettis usually looked like Max Holloway to me. Like, I remembered him being really skinny yeah. and really, like, gaunt. And yeah. then he when he walked out the other night, I was like, Holy fuck, this guy looks like an athlete. Yeah. Like he looks built.
1: Yeah, yeah. He looks so look, good. Timbo looks after him like pretty, pretty regularly. I was really just assisting. Like I was yeah. like uh, helping out Tim. Tim's a Tim's a real machine when it comes to mm. to weight cutting and everything. And he yeah, he just got Anthony looking great. Like when we were doing that bath, like there was a few pokey times during during that weight cut. But yeah, like Tim got him feeling a million bucks well, like, straight d- off. Like it's and that's the thing. Like we always say cutting weight's only half the battle. It's the rehydration yeah. that And then obviously like you can't IV rehydrate. So you're orally rehydrating. There's a, As much as people like want to detest and argue it, like it, it's a process. You can't just be slamming back mm. a bunch of water or coconut water and eating snakes and doing whatever as soon as you – like you just – especially if you're like those top levels – we're strategically cutting weight all week and then we're getting in the bath the night before or we're doing this or whatever like we need to do to make that weight. And then you've got to put that back in the way it came out. Like you've got Mm. to be putting you can, and that's the thing, like, yeah, you could probably get away with having a Gatorade, but is there the exact amount of salt and potassium in that Gatorade that you took out during the cut? Mm. And so like, that's, that's the whole thing that we do. And that I promote is like, we work out, Exactly what you lost, and we need to put it back in. And It's not like you can how do just you do drink that, so, so you can figure out pretty much by how much muscle mass you it, again. Setting up the cut, it's good if you have all this data on them at the start of the week. Essentially, from their body composition, you can theoretically work out how much muscle mass they have, and like you can get scans and, and confirm all that, and then you can work out how much glycogen they have. Glycogen holds water, you can figure out how much how much water they're holding from that. You can figure out how much water we're dropping during the cut. There's so, so much water, there should be so much salt and we can you know, work backwards from that and figure out wow. exactly how much we need to be putting back in based. And like you're crunching these numbers either the night before or the morning of, because you need it to be as accurate as possible. Mm. Like, osmotic diarrhea is a real thing like if you put too much salt in someone's system and you see this a lot with like weigh-ins like people will drink and they'll throw up straight away their body rejects it or that yeah or they'll shit themselves and it's like because you've you've yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you've got the um you've got the mixtures and the the ratios of the the salts out Mm. so you need to be very specific with how you do it and again like that's that's really why i want to like shine a spotlight on this because there's really like academic geordie speaking there's not a lot of stuff out there saying yeah, what's the best people. yeah yeah in so this you, high level
0: for if we could talk about like a standard protocol they, i know obviously it needs to be a lot more nuanced than this but let maybe if we talk about women in one column and then men in another column one each so we'll talk about men first only and let's say your average your average male fighter that is having an amateur or a low level pro fight and they need to cut let's see what do i cut normally so eight weeks let's say six weeks out they've got to cut 10 kilos and one week out they've got to cut five or four um what do you say, what's a rough standard protocol for somebody like that
1: again yeah that's like that's that's pretty pretty standard like we get a lot of guys will do um like i have a whole document with all my fighters like like two weeks ago i had about 35 active guys like who were in camp, like within the next six weeks. And like the average number that we were getting off was probably between 10 and 15. Like a lot of people talk about body, like percentage, like body, per- like percentage of their body weight to drop. And like 10% seems to be like the numbers like, oh, don't cut any more than 10%. Like mm. I kind of find like 15 yeah, to 20, like 20. I probably wouldn't do more than 20. Like I've done up to 20 before. And, and like, I wouldn't even say sometimes it's rough, but other times it's not. Again, it's just saying each, it's so different. For each person, like mm. somebody's responding again, like, like setting up the cut. If we're working together for six to eight weeks before, it's so much easier. But like for a typical guy, if we got six weeks, we're pretty much, the whole philosophy of the system is pretty much matching your intake to what your body needs. That's like the okay. the ins and outs of it without like going into the nuances of it. It's a good example is like, I always talk to guys like who, imagine that you're training like, uh, like guys who do MMA, say you're rolling and you do, I don't know, hour and a half of JITS and then you get up and you do, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours of striking. Like in that time, your body will burn through a lot of carbs. Mm. Like it'll burn through a lot of carbohydrates. Let's say typically like anywhere, depending on the person how hard they go, 100 up to even 400 grams. Like if they're really going hard, like 10 out of 10, a lot of guys will come off those mats and they'll have like a Gatorade and a banana, Mm -hmm. which is like at best 60 grams of carbohydrates. And then, and then they'll do it again the next night and then wow. the next night. And then all of a sudden, they're not, and then their meal outside, they're not replenishing it. And so like the muscles itself, like your muscles are a massive metabolic machine. Mm. And so you get to the end of the week and you feel tired and you feel fatigued and oh, your mood man. crashes and you're no good. And it's so
0: hard to go back into training again. Like, cause I think a lot of people lose motivation. I know myself personally, like by the fourth day of fight camp, like during that week, I'm just like, fuck. I can't keep doing this. and But I want to, obviously, and I love the training, but you can't love the training when your muscles aren't exactly supported. When like, you can't move your arms, it's... Exactly. And I often feel like I'm, like, punching through water, you know? Like, I'm just like, fuck, I physically can't move my exactly. hands. Exactly.
1: And, and then, like, going back to, like, performance first philosophy, your performance comes from your training. Got a few of that training. So, yeah. like, first thing I'll do, like, men, girls, like, whatever, like, men, women, we will assess that. Like, first thing I'll do is assess the training. Like, crunch the numbers, get a pretty good... Estimation, like again, I'll say estimation because, like, the numbers of a country we're using equations to figure out how much carbs and protein that they're burning during that session, like high anaerobic anaerobic glycolytic activity, like MMA and Muay Thai, etc., etc., mostly carbohydrates that we're using. So, let's figure out how much we're using and then let's fuel it. And, like, they're not perfect numbers, like, a lot of the times we'll supplement during it because your body can only really take up so much carbs, like, and you don't want to be drinking like a lot of carbs. During a session, right? Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to be like, I always say to people, like, if you burn 200 grams of carbohydrates, 200, there's 80 grams of carbs in a foot long subway. So, Whoa. like, who do you know that's eating, like, you know, two and a half foot long subs while I training?
0: physically can't get enough carbs in my system. Like, I, I watch them on my fitness pal because we've upped yeah. my carbs to try and get me to be able to yeah, sustain yeah. my training um, and drop the fat because I was doing the same. I was trying to have fat. I was trying to be more ketogenic, so I was having higher fat, really low carb. Yeah. But again, like exactly as you said, what happened with Benny? It's good to hear that that happens to other people. As soon yeah. as I put carbs in, I just immediately put on the weight. Put on the weight. So like um, now I've been trying to add more carbs, but I, I have a mental block about it because I'm like I don't want to add carbs because I'll get fat. Yeah. Because I know that that's what happens to me. But yeah, then and I'm that's... suffering in training and I'm 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 really struggling with it. I don't know how to get that
1: up. Well, that's a real thing, and eh? Like you got to fuel the training, put the carbs in. So a lot of, what we will do is we'll we'll mix up shakes and we'll, we'll like. Uh, like dextrose is really good and again like the evidence and all that behind it it's not that strong i'll be the first to admit it it's not but it works like like i don't know what else to say to people it's like the number one feedback i get with these guys it's like holy crap man and one i'll admit like one there's a huge psychological factor here like just having someone looking after your diet for one is going to be a huge relief and like mentally like i'm not a I'm not a sports psychologist, so I can't delve into that too much, but it's going to be a huge relief. And, like, mm. two, like, it just works. Like, it just, it does, you know, like, <laughs> no. it just, it just, like, seems to work. It's number one feedback. They're all like, man, I feel like Superman. It, it's crazy. Like, it's absolutely What's nuts.
0: Dextrose. So Dextrose is
1: just a super simple sugar. Like, it's yeah, a super okay. simple sugar. Like, um,
0: and there's no risk to putting that in your body the way that other sugars are, like, a, a in body. the sense,
1: like, there's an, like, I say it's safer than, like, Like I find, like, if you're eating a bunch of gummy bears, I find that's a lot worse because it's, like, it's not the, the sugar in there that's necessarily the terrible thing. It's, like, all the other crap they put in it, like, all the additives and, like, the gelatin and all that stuff. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you don't want to be eating, drinking gallons of dextrose throughout the day. That's the thing. You've got to put it in at the time when your body's going to take it up and use it. I always right. say, like, like throw, in, throw in paper on the fire. It's going to use it. And if, like, what, what happens if you throw paper on a fire that's not lit? It just sits there. Like it, that, it's kind of the same concept. So you fuel okay. that training, and then once you get that training fueled, you look outside of the diet, like look outside those training times and go, okay, what do we need to do? Like your goal is to lose weight. Okay, let's not sacrifice the quality of your training, but we need to lose some weight. So let's look at outside of those times and what do we need to do. And, and it's really matching your body's needs to your intake. So if you wake up in the morning, you're not training in the morning, there's really not a lot of need for you to smash a big bowl of oats. Like what, what, what are you fueling? It's like, yeah, you probably have, you know, like a bit more high protein, high fat, like some, like I, I get a lot of my guys on frittatas just cause it's super easy to make like, and, and have that in the morning or, okay. or, or run like a fasting period just because you don't need it. Like, but again, individuals, some people di- like hate not eating in the morning. So yeah. you give them something then we get to lunchtime. Okay. Are are we training on that time or are we, do we have a big session coming up? Let's match it.
0: Do you mean by, and when you say like, are you training at that time? Is there like a certain window that you should be eating before and after training?
1: Yeah. Like I guess yes and no. Like, yeah, like really I should say there is a window, like 30 minutes. You should have this. I don't really abide by it. I don't think taking things in beforehand. Like I, I think there's a, there's a place for beta alanine, like it's a real thing like in life like if you come from work like I used to do it when I like training twice a day like you don't feel like it like if you want to take like a pre-workout a lot of people will do that I just don't like all the other stuff take like a beta alanine you get like the tingles if that will psychologically get you through or caffeine but um before training yeah I do like Certain people, it depends if they can stomach it. I don't mind getting them in to have like a little bit of like a protein and like fat. Like Greek yogurt is really good with like mm-hmm. a bit of chia seeds. I find works really well. It just gives them, it's got a bit of carbs in there, good protein, good fat, but it's not a lot. But some a lot of people just can't handle eating. Yeah, eat training. that's train. why like the shakes are good. Like you just drink them during training, during and immediately after is is really the key areas. I find, especially if you're talking about weight loss, okay. because that's when your body is like. I guess I use the term like metabolically hot, and it's like referring to like the window you have after training exercise, you have like this post insulin response where you have like glute four receptors that are really receptive to taking up insulin. And, and that's when you can get a lot of the carbs in and refuel. I always use the analogy of like, think of storage cupboards. Mm-hmm. And if you, you want to store those storage cupboards, but you don't want to overdo it because mm-hmm. like if, if you're taking say sugars or carbs or whatever and putting them in the storage cupboards, but then you overdo it, like where do you put it? Like yeah, you've got to hand yeah. it over to a different system And then that system, more often than not, breaks it down and stores it as fat. So it's a real balancing act, finding exactly how much. Again, exactly, quote-unquote, if we work together, we'll probably get a better chance of finding that out over the long term and then getting those numbers. But, yeah, so before... During, post, definitely.
0: And what would you recommend while they're like during, like when you said a shake? Yeah, like the
1: dextrose shake. So like dextrose and getting those sugars in again, not a a whole lot. BCAAs? Yeah, yeah. I get a lot of guys on BCAAs just purely because like dextrose is quite sweet and Mm -hmm. BCAAs, it's good for like the leucine. It's good for like getting the protein for the breakdown of the muscle. Whether or not it makes a huge difference, I I like to do it. Again, it's what we do with all our high-level guys. Does it make a huge difference? I don't know, like personally, like it it makes the dextrose taste a lot better. That's for sure. (laughs) Like, and that's, again, that's a huge psychological thing. The real key is the dextrose getting in there. And then once you finish training, when your meal plan, like if you've got another big day of training coming up, I need to figure out how many carbs you're having. Like, are we having like Mm. pastas, rice and everything? We want to get a good amount of protein in. We want to get our fats in there as well. So we need to calculate it all, but we do it around that training. Like you're essentially just fueling the training and then getting your eating pattern more in line with how your body's metabolically working. That's that's kind of like the simplistic view of it. Yeah, that's okay. essentially how the system, like I refer to it as the system, works. And like I said, like there's not a whole lot of like, if you go read the literature, there's a lot of great work out there, but not a whole lot like backing it up. But you know what? Like It's just that two and a half percent. And and you know what? Even most other people, it just seems to work. Like it really yeah, works. Wow. It's, it's crazy. It's like, it's the reason like we're stripping... You know, ten, fifteen, twenty kilos off these guys in that short amount of time.
0: Wow! And so, if you're training, say every say five days a week, an hour Muay Thai class, every, five days a week, and you're maybe say let's let's say eight sessions a week, because a couple of those days you're doing two two times a week, one yeah. of them's a weight session, um, and you're having your dextrose slash BCAAs or some combination of that during and after your training and then as soon as you get home you're having some kind of protein or something yeah
1: yeah you so if you had like a big session again like um this is why i love working with like um mma guys a lot of people like go to the gym and lift weights and like oh that was like a 10 out of 10 session i'm so tired it's like you don't know what like a what a tough yeah. session is if someone's like in mount on top of you dropping <laughs> elbows and you're fearing for your life, like, or, you know, like those <laughs> yeah. last couple of rounds when you're boxing, like, I always used to get this if I wasn't fit enough and your hands are dropping and you're kind of catching or they get you with like good body shots. And like, mm. it's just hot, like, and you, and you're so tired. And then you, you're so tired and you want to quit and you go past that point. Yeah. And then you're so tired. You want to quit again and you go past it and then you go past it again. You do that five, six, seven times. Mm. That's like a, not eight nine out of 10 session like a 10 out of 10 session
0: you're out like yeah yeah
1: you know (laughs) but like i find like mixed martial artists and they get that but your everyday person doesn't so if you're doing two sessions a day that are like eight out of 10 it's like yeah you're we're going to be pumping you up with like a lot of good wholesome carbs and to fuel that Mm. and then throughout the outside we just need to watch what we're doing say if you're having them in the morning straight in the morning yeah let's get like if you really like having oats and honey and and all that and get some milk in there and again we're working out the exact amount for you. And then we won't say we're training again at night. In that interim in the middle, maybe we don't need the carbs. Mm. Again. So so we need to really fix it up. And again, calories in, calories out isn't exactly true, but you need to be mindful. Like I don't really get my guys to be punching everything in my fitness pal. I find like one, it's it's kind of difficult. Like how accurate is it? Like you can go to so many different sites and get so many different numbers for foods, like how accurate, and it, like you said, it builds up this psychological thing as well, where you get you get, get more yeah, you get so there. obsessed with these numbers and it detracts mm. away from the point of the whole of the whole venture it's improving your training and like you get so obsessed with these numbers, so I don't mm. like my guys tracking like. I'll crunch the numbers, that's my job. Like, mm-hmm. if they're like, What's my macro split? What is it? And it's like, Let me deal with all that. And like, it's not necessary, like mm-hmm. it, there's a better way to do it. So, so it's more about but if like somebody the time.
0: doesn't have the luxury of having a somebody like you. Does that kind of work? Does it my fitness with pal type of thing work just to yeah, at sure. least you're, get you on definitely track? Get,
1: like I said, like doing anything, having any type of intervention is one just psychologically going to make you make you better. It's where again, if you dive into it too much, that mm-hmm. psychological thing could be a bit of a trap, but yeah, like for sure, you could. If if I was like, if anyone was listening to this and you want to go home and take like a take home, match, figure out what in your day, like first and foremost, be honest, how hard you're training mm-hmm. and and fuel that. Like some guys, like I don't even, like I won't give them dextrose. Like I just won't. Like the last guy that I did that we got 20 kilos off he was training hard, but I wasn't giving him dextrose. Like it just, the calories in there just didn't match up. So like be honest with like how much ni- you need. And like, you need to know yourself. Like if you go through a whole day, and you like don't eat a whole lot of food and you feel fine, your body can probably operate on less food. But if you're like really starving, you're just naturally one of those people that, that want to consume food, you need to play into that as well. Like you can't like, because then you just start resisting urges. And when you start mm. resisting urges, that's when like it's just a cascade of problems. So, like, one, yeah, like be honest with yourself. Like, do you like eating a lot of food? Do you not? What how hard are you training? And then figure out, okay, in my day, let's break it up. Just say break it up into breakfast, lunch, dinner. And then like, what am I doing in my mornings? Am I am I getting up going? If, even if it's a light run, you don't necessarily need to be fueling that too much. Like, yeah, make some eggs. Like, have some chicken sausages. Like, m- get creative. Like, I'm mm. I'm not a chef. Like, <laughs> get <laughs> creative. Make some make some like high high protein, high fat foods there. And then like, even if you lunchtime, if you're not not getting too much training in like you got to have the carbs we get it from like good sources don't be smashing gummy bears and, mm. and everything like get it from you like your leafy greens and, and your sweet potato yeah like your good wholesome carbs are like sweet potato rice um yeah all, all those things bread i have a bread there's nothing wrong with don't get me wrong like i think i don't like talking about bread because like i personally don't respond to it well so i have like a, a bias against it so i don't like to talk about it <laughs> But, like, it's fine. Like, all those, like, a good sourdough that's, like, homemade that doesn't have all the preservatives and salts and everything. Yeah, like, all those good carbs. But it's got to be, like, you'll know yourself when you're overdoing it, right? Like, if you... I always say to the, to people, remember when we were kids and, like, you went to Sizzler or, like, a, I don't know if you... Or, what if like, an Italian buffet and you, like, got the cheesy garlic bread and you smashed that and then you... And then you get like, you go back to the pasta bar and you keep like nailing all Mm. the pasta bar and you just keep eating and eating and eating. And then like the only reason you stop is because you get that feeling. You're like, oh my God, I feel like so full. Yeah, I'm so full. And then like that's, that response is literally you've got like mechanoreceptors in your stomach that have stretched and they've literally said to your brain, stop eating. And I use the example, I say to people, when have you ever gone to a restaurant, a nice restaurant or a nice steakhouse? and ordered a steak again, or, like, ordered a steak twice. Yeah, You don't do it, right? Because, like, and it all comes down to, like, talking the science of it, when you're eating protein and fat foods, you release a more natural, a more real hormonal response. Mm. Whereas, like, have you ever heard people say, like, um, sugar is just as addictive as, like, cocaine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I don't... That's a bit...
0: I'm one of those people. Yeah, well like it, it <laughs> like
1: the science behind it is like I get it, I get what you mean, but it's just like yeah, it's it's a bit dicey. But it's it's what they're saying is like the dopamine, right? Mm. Like it's the pleasure reward center. And that's a lot of the times when you're eating these carbohydrate foods, you're stimulating these these reward centers. And then and then that's really hard to control. Like when yeah. you're sitting down, if you're like, Okay, I just want to have like one wrap and I'll put my good protein on there, like, I don't know, I'll have like you know, my pulled chicken and I'll throw some avocado and some nice salads on there and whatever, like my, my lemon and vinegar, like whatever you put on there. But then like, you'd be like, man, like I could probably go like a bit more, like I could go like another bread roll. I could have this, but like, you don't really feel like, Oh man, I'll like smash more chicken. Right. It's because like the protein and the fats, like they release like a hormone that goes to your brain and your brain is like, and it takes 20 minutes for that to happen. Like and then your brain releases these hormones that say, hey man, like we're good. Like we're full, yeah. like, like stop eating. And you, and you don't get the that, you don't get that. Well, you that don't know. get that response to, to the extent you do with those ones. So, okay. and, and more often than not, it's the dopam- like, dopamine receptors going off saying, give me more, give me more. Mm. And it, so it's a real delicate game. And so when you're planning out your meals, you kind of want to think about that. Like I would need to have like higher fat, high protein, one to like satiate me more. And it's going to help me better control the carbohydrates and then and then like if you're training at night yeah for sure like have if you feel like you need your dextrose to get through training like anything over an hour i generally get people to have dextrose because like because your body and your body can only like absorb like up to 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour so you you need to if you're training for three hours you need to factor in how much you're burning and how much you're getting in you want to be getting in pretty much every after that 60 minutes you want to start taking it in so so once you get that, you can go home and go, okay, well, how much did I get in? Did I have a lot? Am I feeling really hungry? That's another big thing I find with guys taking these shakes. They don't get home and they're not ravenous, like ripping the mm. cupboards off and being like, Oh, I need to eat. Like, mm. because like you, you fueled that muscle. And it's like that big metabolic machine isn't screaming for nutrients. Yeah. So then you can better control and you can go, okay, you can sit down and go, all right, let's get my proteins. Let's get my fats and dice my avocado. Okay. Like that was a pretty good session. I got one in the morning, like, Let's have like, let's have a bit of brown rice and this and not go over it. Like, and that's, that's, that's if we lived in a perfect world, right? Mm. Like I appreciate, obviously there's so much more that goes into food. Like psychologically, it's like food availability. Not everyone's like that prepared. You're getting home at like 11 PM at night. You don't really want to be like cooking meat and whatnot. Like you want to be, you want something quick and easy. What a quick and easy, like easy Mac that's quick and easy, you know? Mm. Like, so, so there's a whole lot into it in a perfect world. That's how you'd want to set up your day. Okay. And, and and it's like it's it's crazy how well it works. And yeah, it, it's 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 the thing. Like it's so simplistic
0: and and so much better. Like your brain feels so much better. I've just started this in the last two weeks because I I you know again I just had one of those moments where it was just like fuck. Getting up to 74 kilos, mm. I stopped training. All I wasn't training myself at all. I'm training clients, but then it was because I was so unfit and not taking very good care of myself after rehabbed my knee and I was fine, but that's four months of me not being able to do any of my normal training while yeah. I'm rehabbing my leg. Then just to get the motivation to go back and to do it, and I get this feeling like, oh, fuck, I just really want to hit pads again, and I start hitting pads after two rounds. I'm dead on the floor. Like I fucking can't do it because I'm just unfit, you know, and that's it's like damn i know what i'm capable of and i yeah. can't do it so then just slowly getting that back in but because of kind of the way i was feeling i was eating poorly as well and start getting those same cravings those gross feelings like the, as dopamine as you talk about is so strong for sure yeah our craving because i just i did a podcast on this a little while ago about the concept of the drug war and, and it's summarizing what this guy Johan Hari wrote in a book called Chasing the Scream uh, and he talks about the origin the uh, origins of the drug war and the kind of the reasons behind it and the main reasons behind it have nothing to do with the addictiveness of the substance themselves because what the research absolutely is showing now and it's becoming much more common knowledge but still people don't know it is it's got nothing to do with the chemicals themselves Mm. the chemicals themselves including up to methamphetamine which you wouldn't believe you know everybody says oh crack is fucking so dangerous you have it once and you're never going back coke and sugar are as chemically addictive as each other they are Mm. but the real story is that they're not actually that addictive The thing that's addictive is that sensation of feeling held and comforted and okay. And it comes from a biological imperative when we were cavemen that we run off of glucose. Our brains run off of glucose. So when we can get it, and sugar isn't biologically available at all, hardly ever, except for inside beehives, you know, and you're going to get stung to shit getting it, is that you only can have a little bit of it at a time and then you get this huge surge because it fuels your brain it makes you feel good. So we have this, we definitely do have a psychological need for food and so one of the main things to look at, and I I realized this about myself, it was only a couple months ago, I was just going through like, my friend put it really well, he said sometimes you have seasons and you can't always be in summer and maybe you're just going through a winter (laughs) and I was like, but yeah, I'm just going through winter. Like I just felt, I just, I, I wasn't training the way I always have done. I was dealing with the fact of maybe not being a fighter anymore. Like after building up and being this thing and everybody, at the gym sees me as this person and I have to redeal with that. Like, do I want to fight again? Am I, I don't know. Is that my thing? And then, so, you know, psychologically going through a, a bit of a death, you know, like there's a bit of a loss there and like reinventing myself as this other person. What am I? I didn't realize that, uh, in dealing with all that emotional state, I was eating a lot more shit that I didn't want because I just needed to satiate that feeling. There's something uncomfortable in me, and I wasn't feeling good, so I was eating... More Then i c- try to get back to training. I couldn't train because I wasn't fit and I wasn't feeling myself well. I was eating shit food that wasn't going to take care of me. So then I'm getting fatter. I'm losing interest in training, and the whole th- cycle just constantly repeats. I'm getting lonelier, sadder. Yeah. I don't want people to meet me, and you know, I don't want people to see me because I'm putting on weight. And I, f- as far as people in the general population are concerned, I'm a very healthy-looking person. But for me, knowing what I'm capable of and what I should look like I felt enormous. You know what I mean? I was just like, I'm a fat blob. And, and so then this, all this shit was playing into my psychology. And it's only been maybe three weeks. I kind of had this moment where I just woke up and was like, this is in my control. All I have to do is just take better care of myself. So I made a promise to myself that that's what I was going to do and just went back to meat and vegetables so my meals in the morning are eggs and vegetables, midday meal, meat and vegetables, nighttime meat and vegetables. I still struggle with carbs, but I'm adding in like sweet potato. And within a week of doing that and committing to three days of training, just doing something, four days of training, I just feel like a f- million bucks. Yeah, you know it's, I mean? it's crazy. I just eh? immediately have changed everything around. And that, that cloud over my head is gone. Hmm. And it was just a matter of kind of making the decision and, and taking it. And not to say that it won't go away again because it comes and it goes all the time. But I think that's the hard part is that a lot of people don't take that into consideration.
1: Yeah, well, they don't have state. that. Like, yeah, you, and you have kind of had that that mental elevation to kind of stand above it and be like, okay, look, this is this is where I need to be. It's funny, like... Nutrition—it's such a polarizing. Like out of all the sciences, I think it's the most polarizing because like mm. food is so psychologically intertwined. Like you said, and it's because yeah. like you grow up your whole life eating. Like that's a, that's th- something I always and think about. A treat. Yeah, yeah. Food
0: is a treat. Well, well for you.
1: even like as a professional, it's like who am I to tell you what to eat? Like you know your body better than I do, and you've like spent years developing these habits, and it's like. You know, who am I to come in and break these habits? I always say, especially with athletes, Like, I, I, I guess I can't really speak more because I've moved so far away from like gen pop and like chronic disease and stuff. And like my real true undying passion is like fight sports and nutrition, right? And like, I love it so much and like mm. gets me out of bed. And like, but when it comes to like, you know, like general population, like there's definitely a lot better people informed on me, informed better than me on the topic. But it is, it's a huge psychological thing and that just creates all these barriers to come and I think a lot of like especially my colleagues and stuff find frustration with it because they're like oh on paper this person should be eating this and they should be losing weight and doing it's like man like chill out like this is a a, mom, a single mum that with three kids working like a crazy stressful job like yeah. what do you expect them to do like come on like you've got to be it's super- like an
0: addict going back to their drug and everybody's like well fucking they got to get their shit together they're pathetic and it's like yeah, have you ever considered all of the life factors that are going into play that causes that person to run back to that thing? It is frustrating. I know it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. I understand this feeling that, like, there's an ache inside you that doesn't seem to be satisfied by your interactions with other people, by the work that you're creating, by whatever it is. There's this, like, deep, core, confusing dissatisfaction that can happen. And and all the time, and it's almost like just human beings, exist in suffering. And this is a Buddhist idea that life is suffering. So just to, to be a conscious, aware human being, you're going to have these ups and downs and highs and lows and need to kind of escape uncomfortable feelings. And But if you're aware that you're... When you have uncomfortable feelings, if the first thing you go to is food, then you know straight away, okay, that's what's happening. I'm, I'm dealing with an uncomfortable situation here. That's mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm reaching out. So maybe it's just a matter of, like, paying attention to your habits. And going back to, to sort of professional athletes because this is kind of your realm and what you care about the most, like, as you well know – the mind is so powerful in telling us whether we can do something or not. And to get up to that elite level, especially in fight sports, is that it is nonstop doubt. Mm. All day, every day, constant doubt. My, my opponent's bigger than me. Oh, they're probably faster. Oh, they are training harder? And then the next day you're like, no, I fucking got this. There's no way they can't touch me. You're just a crazy person going up and down constantly. And so having an even level of nutrition, I imagine, would help keep that in balance.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, Are
0: there any like key indicators like if you notice like your athletes starting to get grumpy or starting to get um, stressed more or having mood swings? Do you is there nutritional things you can do to help them?
1: Uh, yes and no. Like it's funny because like especially my job, like I'm kind of especially with the higher level guys, you're kind of on call twenty four seven, right? Like I'm talking oh, to wow, guys yeah. like all the time, like on the phone late at night. If like I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had like calls where they're like, "Oh man, what's going like." semi-crisis calls and then like, or even if they're like on the other flip side of it, they're like extremely happy. They're like, I just had the best training session ever. Like, yeah, like the psychology of these guys, it's a real thing, hey? Like in terms of like food to make it feel better, everyone's going to get those cravings. Like, right, Like you said, there's no, in my opinion, there's no exact food that's going to be like, okay, if you're feeling not so great, you can eat and you'll feel, you'll just magically feel better. Mm. I think it's like a progression of your diet, isn't it? When you're, if you're eating the good wholesome foods, but you should be able like, I think fight camps are super interesting. Like we were talking about, like that there's a lot of really good people, especially in dietetics who work in like, um, like the health at every size movement and like um, non-diet approaches that are fantastic at this. It's a bit different for like what I do because we need to be that strict. Like mm. there should be training for dietitians to like explore these concepts and be able to like yeah, explore the them with, because the, the answer is that there is no magic food that's going to make you do it. But like, it's the overall health of the person. And I think it's getting that idea that if you are really craving, like say a donut, you can have it. Like, it's not like, it's not like one donut is going to throw off our whole camp, but in the psychology of the fighter, it's a discipline thing, right? right. It's, like, it's like, if I, if I eat this and, and if I if I cheat on this, then okay maybe I'll cheat on on the bags. I won't be going as hard or those last few combos. I won't be as slick. You know, it's like a, that. It's that whole performance psychology side of it. In terms of food, like if if guys are really stressing out, like I do give my guys like refeed days if I notice their like energy levels are really going down. Like you've got to monitor it, and, mm. and like I'll just be like, all right, let's just have like not so much a refeed day, but a cheat meal. Like a lot of my high level guys, like I'll program in a cheat meal up until like a certain point before their fight. Again, if we're working with each other for a few months out before from your fight, you're getting like, you're not eating strict 100% mm. the whole time. Like you've got to have that. Like you, oh, you just otherwise mentally break and it becomes this, it becomes a barrier to the process.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I have a
1: guy and he sends me a picture every Saturday night of the pizza and fries and like <laughs> of, of what he's eating. And it's good. Like I like seeing that because of that reason. It's, it's going to like come two, three weeks out, we're going to have to cut that out. And it'll get tough, but you can do that. You can cop that for two, three weeks, Yeah. not, not for 12 plus weeks. That's just, it's just ludicrous. And like all food have their place, right? This is a, a big thing I'm about, like, it's not like what foods are good foods and bad. It's like, when is it a good food? When is it a bad food? Like, yeah, and you'll okay. see a lot of like high level athletes, like they know, like if they, like a lot of guys I know will bust out a huge session in the gym go eat like a burger like you know <laughs> like it's like psychologically again i'm not the expert in that area and whatever that has downriver from all of that mm. but like for me if that gets them through i think gets them through like you need these guys to to be at the top of the game and a lot of these high level guys have like mental coaches and yeah and then and, and performance like psychologists that they're seeing and yeah they talk about all this but i like that's a great point like Dietitians, nutritionists, like everyone or anyone, like you don't have to have a degree. Like I really believe that you don't have to have a degree to help someone be better or be a healthier person. But like these conversations, like you should know about that and be able to... Have that ability to step outside yourself and look back and be like, okay well, why am I feeling that way? Why do I really want that food like what's going on so yeah
0: what's actually happening and paying attention to like what's actually going on in your body you start to feel like because because then, then I have these like moments where you where you lash out you'll go and eat food or whatever if I start working on something I edit videos a bunch so I'm in here working on it and it 's just not working and the video's not working I 'll get up and go and eat
1: hmm.
0: and I realize ah i'm avoiding the situation that's bothering me by just trying to satiate that feeling. Some discomfort's happening. Oh, go do that. And then come back, reset, and then start again. And so I, it, it's an amazing thing. Like, being able to just link the two of those things together can kind of break your little habits up just a little bit. Somebody once said that if you, take, if you have a craving for something, you think you need to do something, write it down and write the time. Just whatever the idea is that you need to do, write the time down. If you've got a little notebook or take a picture of it on your phone, just screenshot the time. And then in 10 minutes, if you still want to do that thing, go do it.
1: I like that. Yeah, and if you don't,
0: if at 10 minutes it doesn't come back, you don't think about it, keep going on with your life. Because the instantaneous thing is that reaction to the emotion. Mm. Once you sit with the emotion for that 10 minutes and keep going, you know, refocus your attention on whatever it is you are working on, most likely your, your brain will process it and it will go away. But if you don't let it process it and you go and mask it with the thing that you want, whether it's a drink or a line or whatever, give it 10 minutes. And if it's gone, it's gone. And because I had a hypnotherapist on here talking about it, and he said, in those moments, like while we're driving, while your brain's kind of switched off, that's when your brain processes all of the uh, sort of difficult things that you didn't have a time at the time to process. So say like you and me have a t- t- conversation now, everything's normal and I do something weird and I offend you. And then when you're, d- at the moment you can't deal with it because you're like, no, fuck, I'm on a podcast, I can't react, I can't do anything weird, I, I gotta hold my shit together, <laughs> I gotta look cool in front of all these people. And then you're gonna go home and drive and you'd be halfway through the drive and then all of a sudden that uncomfortable feeling would come up and be like, ugh, uh, that felt gross. And essentially what he's saying is that at that time while you've got nothing else to to do, and you're kind of on autopilot, then your brain will let you come up and start thinking about that thing that you need to process. Then you'll go, oh, she, no, yeah, you're right. She didn't really mean that. She wasn't offensive, or I, I need to tell her that that was offensive. Then you've processed it, you dealt with it, and then your brain releases it as a normal emotion. However, if while you're driving you don't want to feel that thing, and you pull over and go into McDonald's and eat a hamburger and keep going and push it down and turn the music up louder, that feeling will then come back again later and then again later and mm. then again later until it f- turns into this like dark ball of fucking energy in the inside of you that's stuck and that usually is what grows into an addiction or into a neurotic tendency or into some kind of self-destructive behavior
1: yeah well that's the thing hey like with everything it's on paper everything's easy but th- like right. that's right yeah but then know? when it actually happens but then when, and then mm. these are these are real things that happen with like not just athletes like everyone mm. so like and i think it's very naive to kind of think like I'm the nutrition guy. Like I say that to everyone. It's like, hey, man, I'm just the nutrition guy. Here. Like, like yeah, whatever. Like, and it's things like. It's not even like stay in your lane, but you've got to take all that into account. Like, like mm. human beings are just are just like complex creatures, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Like, you need to have a holistic approach. Like, everyone, you got to work. with, You got to be thinking of like stress. You don't. You don't necessarily have to sit down and be their psychologist, but you need to be aware of that stuff. Like, you need to have those conversations with them. Like, mm. yeah. Wow. Like, I think everyone in any health professional would benefit like having these conversations and hearing this and, and talking to a hypnotherapist and hearing, you know, their perspective on it. Like that's, that's one thing I really, like I'll never slander anyone, like no matter what, like if I listen to something and they say something, I disagree with it. That's fine. Like that's, that's completely fine. Take the best out of it and see if it's useful for you. Like you should be doing that for, for everything. Like, Mm. yeah. Like I think that would be phenomenal. Like I, I, a few athletes come to mind when you were talking. And I was like, man, I need to get these guys like <laughs> talking to that person. But like, yeah, he's
0: great. His his name was Stuart Walter. He's uh, I can't remember what episode it was, twenty four or something. Yeah. But yeah, he's it's a good. It's just good to t- push that little pause button sometimes, so you don't have that automatic reaction, just that that lash out. Without that, you're it's you're living in a fucking world of chaos, and you don't know where to even start. Like, where do you even begin? Yeah. to solve
1: that problem. Well, it's like, um, have you ever read um, Chris Kress's book, Unconventional Medicine? It's like, no. its, whole, it's like its whole process, right? It's like going away from that traditional medical approach and, mm. and going from that um, tertiary level care down to like preventative. And like, mm. like I think a lot of people just realize like we're so far in this rabbit hole, like we're fucked. Like you, it's, there's no bringing back a lot because just years and years, like why didn't we – he uses the example like having a, a stone in your shoe – but taking Panadol yeah, to
0: yeah, get rid yeah. of the
1: pain. Like it's not getting rid of the stone, yes, right? Oh, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like he talks about that. And, there's, and there's, there's heaps of people like that. And it's a real school of thought. And like, it's it's super interesting for me as like a health professional because you should be considering that. But the way you're kind of trained and it, it's not, not saying like university training's wrong or like yeah, it's yeah. too didactic or whatever. It's just like, it's just the system. And I, I know a lot of like my friends that, that I studied with and stuff, they're kind of getting to a point. I actually had this conversation yesterday with one of my friends and, and, and they're really big in like the headspace uh, eating disorders and they're like, no matter how much good I feel like I'm doing, the system just fucks us. Like mm-hmm. it's just never going to happen. So if, if it's never going to happen in a tertiary response, why not go, preventative and, and get like imagine if you taught this to kids in school
0: that exactly and you know? that's one of the main things that i keep talking about now like mental health should be a, a lesson that you have to take along with australian history and world history oh for you sure know what i mean like your meditation sitting down with your feelings learning how to communicate with other people expressing your boundaries
1: yeah and it kind of just all goes back to that like you, you're trying to fix what's already broken type thing why not just
0: go to the core yeah of it. don't
1: break it in the first place you right know? it's like Yeah, Preventative health, it's like it's where it's at. Like, I it is, it's definitely like in all... Like, we could have this conversation for so many different things. I like it, yeah, it's a crazy world.
0: Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about before we go away because we've been talking for ages, so I should let you get back to your life. We have to, yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh, what was your experience? You were out there watching that UFC fight with um Connor and Khabib. What was your experience? Yeah, so we we
1: actually um like I was saying like it's such a crazy week by the end of it like you're so pretty pretty done with it like you're not sleeping a lot but like obviously the team got together we didn't go to the fights but we were just all in the hotel watching each other and yeah it was a, it, it was interesting like it the thing is like it's it's just it's drama isn't it like at the end of uh. the day it's business and when you get to like know these guys as people and and like i remember that was a very humbling experience like to have that thought of like oh they're just like they're like people just like me who just really good at punching and kicking people. Like, you know, like they're <laughs> yeah. just exceptionally good athletes. And you find that with like most, what, what's that saying? Like you should never meet your heroes because yeah, you're, yeah, 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 or whatever. Like, and it's, and at the end of the day, like, I guess Connor is just great at, you know, he's great at building up this, this thing. And all of them talk about it. I mean, like Anthony talked about it with like Ferguson about how he puts on this like weird persona because it sells pay-per-views and they get paid more. And it's just, it's like any other job. Like
0: Absolutely. I think, I think so too. And it's a shame to me that the UFC has become such a circus because it was the picture of what martial arts could be. You take these athletes that are incredible and Bell- bellator does it better mm. i think in my opinion because they haven't become this circus this clown of themselves rory mcdonald is my all-time favorite oh, when yeah, he went yeah. to bellator i was like oh i just love Rory, but he's a fucking legend you know he's a good humble martial artist he works his ass off he'll do his thing and then he goes home and he wants to live in a shack in the woods by himself with his yeah. wife you it's know funny. it's funny like, someone um thing.
1: someone actually said that to me the other day, like oh man how do you work with these people and i was like these people like. these
0: people they're better than the fans like the fans of the ufc are the gnarliest people oh. the martial artists themselves are actually
1: that's the thing like i I, I, was, I was explaining to this guy i was like man you gotta understand there's a certain level of humbleness mm. that comes around when you know you can like kill people with your bare hands like i'm not <laughs> at that level like you might be but i'm not but like these high level they're the most placid relaxed yeah there is lovely people to be around like Benny, like best yeah, example, exactly, like he yeah. like never heard a fly, like best dude, but man, like, would ne- yeah, would literally you. kill you in like seconds. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, th- and like that's what makes my job so good. It's like I get to work yeah, with the awesome. people every single day and it's like, right, yeah, it's unreal. Man. So
0: fuck. Yeah. Um, I know Richie always talks about uh that fear only stem or sorry, aggression only fear stems from, from fear. fear yeah. So once you know how to control yourself, you stop being that person. And a lot of that all those kids and stuff that are a bit lost and feeling confused, it's mostly come from fear.
1: Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Well. How do people find you if they want to?
1: Uh, at the moment, Instagram's probably That's my, how I yeah, yeah. The best one at the fight dietitian. So the underscore fight dietitian, uh, websites coming up. I did have a website, oh. but it didn't look very, uh, since I've been getting pretty busy. Like, uh, I have a few, uh, Guys that overlook my business, and they kind of sat me down. And we're like, <laughs> "This is like it's fine." One. Like I love the science of it all, and I love like getting involved, like being in the trenches when it comes to all that side. Like I have other guys that deal with it, and they kind of sat me down and like, "Geordie, come on, mate." Like <laughs> Let's get this is like a toddler did it, but yeah. So that the, the <laughs> website's coming up, Facebook, you can find it, and yeah, I'm I'm pretty active on social media. So if cool. Anyone wants to get on there. Then awesome.
0: For sure. Well, I'll put all the links to all that stuff on oh, there, awesome, and awesome. it's the uh, fight Dietitian on Instagram, and. Awesome, man. Well, good shit. Yeah, and thank you for having people, me. Yeah, yeah, people can find you and get in touch with you and um, get that weight cut going.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah.
0: Hello again. So that was Jordy Sullivan. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook at The Fight Dietitian. Uh, I've got the links to that on my website and uh, on the Facebook post, Instagram post, etc. Um And as I said at the start, if you are cutting weight for a fight or you have got a fight coming up and you're nervous about doing this, please get in contact with either me or Jordy or somebody and we'll point you in the right direction or give you some advice uh, or find someone who can give you some advice to help you do this the healthy way and the right way so that you don't fuck yourself up. We want to see you succeed and we definitely don't want to have anybody else uh, losing their life because of uh, weight cut issues. Hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please do go to iTunes, subscribe, tell your friends, whatever, write it, that kind of thing. Um, I've got a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Lorna Bremner, and if you want to, you know, send five bucks my way, that would be bloody wonderful. Hope you have a great week. Talk to you again soon.